and welcome back to Where There's a Will, There's a Burnham Way for episode 10. My name is Will Jones, I hope you've all had a good week. Uh, happy Mother's Day too, for any for any mums listening. Um, it's obviously today at the time of recording, um, I hope it's been a good one for you. So it's been an eventful week in the, in the world of Will and, uh, and, and the Wanderers. So uh, yeah, without further ado, let's get into it. So, kicking off with Monday, as ever, on a uh, rather controversial note, actually, which saw the maverick, uh, Marcus Madison, hit the headlines once again, as he was reported to have, uh, have missed the home game against Barrow a couple of weeks ago, even back in February now, I think it was, uh, due to sleeping in, supposedly. Uh, rather unusual story to come out uh, to come out so late in the day, um, from absolutely nowhere, really, and based on, to be honest, absolutely nothing. Um, Ian Everett insisted he was ill and that that was his reasoning for, for Madison's absence that evening um, it also seemed extremely unlikely given it was a home game and, and I, I believe Marcus is currently based at the hotel whilst on loan so uh, it seems almost impossible for him to have, to have not been alerted at some stage to the fact there was a game on most bizarre um, it was quickly debunked however though by by the gaffer as anticipated in his, uh, in his pre-Cambridge presser uh, when he reiterated that Marcus was ill and uh, there was no more to be said on the matter um, um, as I said, very bizarre, somewhat of a non-story really, but a talking point from the week nonetheless. Um, Monday was also former Wanderer Zach Clough's birthday, so a, a happy belated birthday to him too. Now, um, on to the main segment of, uh, of this week's episode, something which will uh, will take up quite a large portion of, uh, of the remainder of this episode, and it will be dedicated to um, and, and the victims of, uh, of this event. It was, it was the 75th anniversary of the Burnham disaster on Tuesday, something which is a significant moment in the club's history. It's a real tragedy, um, and, and it's something of utmost importance that we remember each year. Despite COVID-19 and the ability for fans to share this moment with the club, both the fans and the club were able to, to remember those 33 fans who went to the football match that day and never returned home, in a fitting tribute prior to the Cambridge match on Tuesday. In memory of this, I was joined by Bolton's club chaplain, Phil Mason, to talk about this awful event in further detail. Phil, thanks very much for joining me today. Uh, you're the perfect club representative to be able to chat on this topic. Uh, it's obviously so close to our hearts, uh, and I'm so glad you can be here to, uh, well, as is in so important, uh, remember those 33 supporters who, who lost their lives at a Bolton Wanderers football match 75 years ago this week, uh, specifically the 9th of March at Burnham Park in a sixth round FA Cup tie with Stoke City. Yeah, well, thank you, Will. It's it's good to be with you, especially in this uh, very poignant week when we, as you rightly say, remember the uh, 75th anniversary of uh, that terrible disaster. Uh, and we recognise that as a club, we were the first club to have such a disaster. Um, and of course, you know, people were just recovering from the war. Um, they had in their head that uh, life was getting better. There was real positivity and there was a real enthusiasm to get to that game that day because uh, we were obviously doing well in the FA Cup. And um, uh, with Stoke City playing, it was uh, Stanley Matthews, who was one of the stars who was going to be playing that day. Of course. So Everybody wanted to get to that game, um, and there was an expected crowd of around 55,000 people. Wow. Uh, that converted to a, a, a roundabout estimates are about 85,000 people, which is unbelievable, isn't it? 
It is, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and of course, you know what happened was that the 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 crowd kind of swelled, um, and the uh, the turnstiles were closed at two forty, uh, mm. but people came over from the embankment end over the railway embankment at some broken fences. Um, they they jumped over turnstiles to get in. Um, but what's fascinating, Will, is that this week I've been uh, reading again uh, the the account that comes direct from the inquiry. I've got a, the original copy of it for the five-day yes. inquiry following the disaster. Yes. And I, I've been rereading that. And um, there's, there's an account by a little 11-year-old lad who was there just he he appeared in in this uh, inquiry on his own without any support. You wouldn't want that these days. Um, <laughs> and he he gave this testimony of uh, stood by a gate. Um, he was already in the ground by this time, but right. you know for his life a bit. Yeah. And he was gate. And this uh, bloke who he described wearing a black overcoat and a white scarf and a trilby with a band around it, mm. uh, smashed the padlock off the gate. And open this gate to let him out and to let himself out. Oh, gosh. What followed was that the crowd who were trying to get in just piled in. Yeah. And he calls this little lad saying, I heard this man say, come on, Charlie, now's our chance. And they all ran in. Uh, so a lot of the crowd came in through that, that open gate, which, of course, is particularly poignant when you think about other disasters that followed ours. Of course. So, so that's where a lot of the crowd came from. The other problem on that day was that uh, one of the stands was still being used by the Ministry of Supply, um, and that was following the war. And so they were they were storing stuff in the Ministry of Supply uh, there, which meant that the stands were not at the capacity they should have been for the for the crowd, at, um, you know, because they they just couldn't get the people in because of the stuff that was in there. Of course. That's what happened, and then the the kickoff uh, took place at three o'clock. The crowd surged forward, and the crush began. Um, and and people were being carried over the heads of others, just trying to get out the crush. So particularly children and women were being carried over the, the heads of people. And there's one iconic picture of a, a young girl then called Phyllis Rob, who was being carried over the heads of somebody. Yes, uh, I remember that. She, she died a couple of years ago now. She was 102 when she died. So imagine, you know, she had such a full life. Um, if, if it hadn't been for that. Uh, but people got crushed um, and uh, they all died tragically of asphyxiation as they fell to the ground, which they literally just couldn't breathe. Um, this week I was talking to the West Orton uh, History Society on, on a call, on a Zoom call, Mm -hmm. And there were loads of people on this call listening to the story as I was telling it. And there was one bloke on there called Derek, and mm -hmm. he was 90. And he was there as a 15-year-old lad, and he got in the crush. And he collapsed um, and then came round surrounded by dead bodies. Um, and he was literally given smelling salts and then told to get on his way. And he caught the bus back to West Orton. Imagine that, and he was wow. traumatized by what he'd seen, what he'd witnessed, and the very fact that he nearly lost his life. Um, he said he was close, he literally said, could not breathe. He said he couldn't um, inhale or exhale because of the crush. 
Um, but <laughs> a little lad of 15 just being given smelling salts and saying, get on your way, get on the bus back to your back to your house. <laughs> Unbelievable. It just shows how so, different so, those days. It does, doesn't it? I, I, so obviously, you know, there was there was 33 tragically lost their lives um, and over 500 uh, injured, some with life-changing injuries uh, because of the crush against the barriers and the twisted metal that, that, that you know, that gave them those injuries. Um, and then, uh, so at quarter past, well, it was uh, 12 minutes past three, the game was stopped. At 20 past three, it was decided to uh, start the game again. And at 26 minutes past uh, three, once they had dragged the bodies uh, up past the touchline and then uh, put a new sawdust touchline in place, the game began again. Wow. Quite remarkable. It's it is remarkable. It's it's unthinkable that something like that could just continue. And obviously, there was an element of, of not being aware of what had actually happened. I I know that you know some people had, had thought that it fainted and that it wasn't just yeah you know yeah. as what we we kind of know it is as now. But it's it's just unthinkable, isn't it? That that, that yeah, it started. It, it was, and and you know, most people, as you say, thought that they knew that something had happened, but they didn't realise how serious it was. And of course, following the game, people who hadn't got a clue went off to the pub, went off to the cinema, and there was anxious families waiting at home, thinking, "Have they been caught up in this?" Because they'd heard about it on the radio, and they'd heard there'd been, um, you know, casualties. Yeah. Uh, so there was loads and loads of anxious families that night, just just waiting to see what on earth. Uh, was going to happen next and whether their loved one was going to come home or not. And what's interesting is that Stanley Matthews, in, a, in an account uh, some years later, said that as he was driving, because he didn't know um, no. very much during the game, but at the end, uh, of course, he was told, they were told in the, the dressing room what had happened. And he said, as I was driving home, it hit me like a storm cloud, what had happened. And I couldn't believe that we'd played a game whilst 33 lay dead at the side of the pit. And I'm sure they wouldn't have, you know, have continued had they known kind of the, the devastation no, that was, that was, you know, going on around them. And I think it's it's just generally hard to put into words and, and picture the devastation of that day. Um, you know, it's simply unthinkable that, you know, especially in t- today's surroundings, <laughs> thankfully it is a lot safer than it was back then. But, um, you know, for those who were subject to those conditions, which caused them injury, I know a number which is believed to be in the hundreds, um, the, the vast majority thankfully survived and, you know, were able to return home to their loved ones. Um, yeah. I'm sure it's something they, you know, vividly remember, um, though perhaps don't wish to talk about, which is upsetting enough as it is and must be even more so for the families of those who were left anxiously waiting that evening, but obviously tragically never, never returned. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, terrible. I mean, uh, this week, uh, again, you know, with it being such a poignant week, I was talking to a lady called Denise and uh, she was born a month after the disaster and her father was killed in that disaster. So um, her mother, heavily pregnant with only a few weeks ago before she was going to give birth to her daughter, had to go and identify her husband and then, of course, bring Denise up parent um and then i was talking to uh another chap who um his father and uncle were both killed in the disaster mm-hmm. and he was talking about how his mother after the war was was really in quite a lot of poverty and um, 
they didn't have enough money to put shoes on on his feet because of uh, losing the income from both uncle and from uh, father, you know. So the impact is not just the loss of, of life and the loss of a loved one, which is terrible enough in such mm. circumstances. You know, the consequences of that for the rest of their lives as well. No, of course, yeah. I mean, it's almost a generation down now, as you say, that the survivors mainly that we knew of have kind of either passed away now or, or we don't really know of. So I suppose it's it's kind of to rely on the relatives of those who, who, who had to go through the experiences that day or... Although, like you said, you know, you spoke to one of the the, the, the original survivors the other day, which I'm sure must have been yeah. sort of heartwarming to know that they were still, you know, uh, around and, and kind of, you know, Absolutely. alive to, yeah. to tell the tale and what have you. And it, it, it must be traumatising for them and to hear it as a first account still must be uh, must be rather raw for them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure it, it's... It's just something which which is obviously still so important to this day to this day, um, you know, and and continues to and needs to be. Um, also, we can't forget the other team involved in that match that day, as you've mentioned, Stoke City and Stanley Matthews. Um, I'm sure you'll, you'll agree with me in saying we must commend them and and similarly their remembrance and you know acknowledgements and, and and services of the anniversary. Um, and in general of the burn disaster, um, I'm sure that connection between the two clubs is, is a unique one, um, but one that you're extremely grateful for as a club and for their cooperation on as well as as, as well as everybody else. Yes, totally. I mean, you know, they, they've been nothing but respectful um, every time we've had an anniversary or every time we've, you know, had some event uh, at the 70th anniversary, which of course was only five years ago. They had representatives come from the club uh, and they presented uh, a scarf that we lay by the memorial book. So uh, the memorial book in the main reception had a scarf of Bolton Wanderers and a scarf from Stoke City. And they also came to lay a wreath, which was, uh, you know, a tremendous and, and poignant tribute. And I must say that, uh, you know, this this uh, week when we had the, the game on on Tuesday night, which, of course, was the actual anniversary, it was, it was very poignant to play a game that night. Uh, it was it was wonderful that Cambridge took part in the minute silence, wore black armbands, and also laid a wreath along with uh, our captain, who laid a wreath too. So yeah. you know, clubs paying their respects in 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 that dignified way. Absolutely, and as you mentioned earlier on, you know, it was kind of the first disaster of its kind, and sadly, there's been quite a few since elsewhere. So there's the several of the clubs that are kind of familiar with with the sort of tragedy that, that the club's gone through and it's therefore natural, I suppose, for, for each club to be as respectful as each other. Um, and I'm sure for, for us as well, it's it's a matter of pride and honour for the club that, you know, whilst what happened that day was truly the, the darkest day in our history, the fact that the occasion is remembered nationwide and, and even beyond sort of globally, it's it's so important that it's continued to be recognised in, in, in the best light that it possibly can. Um, you know, for generations to come, as it really is a as an integral part of football in history, as I'm sure you'll agree, Phil. Absolutely is, and you know, we we pride ourselves within our club of being the first of many things. You know, we we um, we were the, obviously one of the first of twelve clubs to form any league within the world. Um, we were the first club to score the first goal in that league in the world. Um, we scored the first goal at Wembley, um, in the original Wembley. Uh, we were the first to have a live televised game. We were the first to have uh, substitutes when they were allowed. 
But tragically, within that history, as you say, the darkest day, we were the first to have this uh, football disaster. And we do belong to a small family of clubs who uh, sadly have had such disasters. And clearly what is important is that those people who've lost their lives are remembered, but also that legislation is changed and put into place to ensure safety of people uh, attending uh, games. And, you know, the, the legislation did change forever that day uh, following, following our disaster. So turnstiles were uh, changed in order to ensure that once they have let the number through they should let through, they, they clicked and stopped um, and wouldn't let any more through. And then the, um, they put in a telephone system around the ground, emergency telephone system around the ground, so that you could get in contact with people from different parts of the ground. And that provision is still in legislation today as well. So it literally did change as a consequence and an impact of that disaster. Absolutely. It's important to recognise that, you know, there's still elements of that, of evidence of, of what caused that change, you know, even in, that, even in our ground today. You know, like you say, with the turnstiles and obviously access is much more limited than I'm sure it was back then. But even so, you know, it's good to see that we still have evidence of that, of the changes that that day caused um, still within within the nature of the football club. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's of much importance and emphasis, you know, that surrounds this awful event that, you know, though we rightfully, uh, you know, remember the occasion of the 33. And, you know, I know we're, we're a very family club, uh, family friendly club who, you know, particularly yourself as club chaplain would always kind of encourage supporters to, to acknowledge and, and recognise, you know, the good work that, that you know, that the, the club staff do, you know, to keep the to keep the supporters safe. Um, and, and I'm sure that that is well recognised and I'm sure you've had, you know, commitments from from supporters, you know, acknowledging, you know, that, that, that uh, in effect you're, you're, you're looking after their safety more than anything else. Yeah, that's. I mean, that that's part and parcel of the of the experience um, of of the game, of course. And it is important that we keep everybody safe, and we do that in in a number of ways. Of course, there's the whole safety staff uh, that are that are present. We we do a lot around safeguarding to make sure children and young people are kept safe during a game and not uh, and not get themselves into a difficulty. And of course, we encourage people to. Uh, share with us any issues that there might be, if there's any, uh, you know, uh, concerns over racism or sexism or whatever it might be, or bad language that is is upsetting other people, then get it reported and then we can make sure that as a family and a family club, we can all enjoy the game. Of course, it's a it's a general thing more than anything as well, isn't it? That I'm sure that you would encourage, you know, even the relatives of the initial survivors or or the survivors themselves, if any are still alive, to come forward should they they wish to open up about such a trauma in the family. Um, I know sadly only a, a very few are still with us following the passing of, of like you say, Phyllis Rob a few years ago. Now, um, I'm sure you'd be the first to say it's something both yourself and the club as a whole are, are always open to talking about and listening to to those experiences not just to support that relative or that person but also to educate other fellow fans on the subjects from from personal accounts and experiences even if they're secondhand yes that's right and you know we as you can see from uh, this week there's been a, a number of people been in touch and i think that's wonderful that that you know as a club um we have that uh sense of openness and that's what it's about being a family you're you're absolutely spot on there well 
um, and, and giving fans that opportunity to talk through whatever their issues are. Um, and, you know, that's part and parcel of what the chaplaincy is there to do. Um, and, you know, so many people do get in touch with the club uh, over difficulties that they might have in their life or challenges or the loss of loved ones. And, we, you know, try to support in any way that we can. Absolutely. We obviously do a lot to commemorate the anniversary each year. Um, like you said, with the, with the scars and, and, the, and the book in the, in the main reception, which I tend to walk past each game um, on my way in. So I do recognise that. And, and obviously the tributes, which we, we tend to feature each year, um, obviously a minute silence or applause, um, messages of goodwill and just general recognition of, of those who were there that day. Um, we also have references in the form of plaques around the ground, even at Sir Nat statue. Um, we've also worn commemorative kits made by current kit suppliers Macron, um, which was not only a lovely touch, but also a thing of beauty, I have to say. Um, but, you know, with, with supporters not around at the minute, Phil, I'm sure it's it's been a slightly different experience this year at that Cambridge game, um, though no less supportive from a distance uh, following Tuesday's anniversary. And obviously that brief uh, pre-match ceremony, which took place with with Lane Reese, and obviously observing a minute silence as well, um, and even dedicating the win against Cambridge to those who lost their lives. Um, yeah, unfortunately, as I said, you know we weren't able to do that with fans this year. How was that for, for you and the club generally this year in comparison to to recent times and, and years gone by? Well, it's been very strange without fans, um, you know, at the game. It, it it really is a very odd experience because the the match. The match build-up for the day is exactly the same. And then you have the music of, the, you know, the players coming out in the same way as we'd always do with fans there. And then it just goes silent and it's really odd. And, um, you know, we felt that we needed to commemorate very importantly this 75th anniversary, hence the reason for putting a little uh, piece together on video that we put out on social media for, for retelling of the story of the Burnham Park disaster. Um, and... And then, you know, the things, as you described, that we did at the game. But it, it was strange to have that minute silence and then for it to continue to be silent because normally at the end of the sorry, at the end of the silence, you'd have everybody giving a huge round of applause. On a, of course you would, yeah. Well, uh, of noise following that, which is there to support, you know, obviously the, the players, but also... So, in, in memory of, of, of those that have lost their lives. So it was very odd, that uh, experience. But I'm glad we, we were able to do what, you know, what, what we could do under the circumstances. And um, I was particularly delighted by the uh, match day programme and the special edition with the names of the 33 put on, uh, on the front. Um, and of course, people were able to look at that and view that digitally, but also to, to get a copy. Um, and, programmes haven't sold in the way that we would normally do this this season, as you would imagine. Mm. But uh, they they were, went like hotcakes this week. And sure. we got a reorder, and within an hour, um, they'd gone again. Um, so it just shows how important this is to people of Bolton and Bolton fans even today. It always will be. Um, I'm sure I, I actually purchased a copy of that programme myself and I think I've still got the one for it from the 70th anniversary even. Um, you know, I think it's important that we have that in our history and it's passed down from generations and, you know, it's important that we keep it as a, as a prominent subject, even though it is a, a particularly dark one. Um, though I'm so glad that we were able to kind of carry out the ceremony and as normal 
kind of a situation as possible. Um, although, like you said, you didn't have the, the, the supporters to then, you know, kind of acknowledge that it must have even been kind of a, you know, something of a reassurance for you to, to ensure that the service had gone well. Um, but I'm, I'm sure you, you were well aware that, you know, the thousands watching on iFollow and, and wherever else were, were obviously extremely, uh, you know, appreciative of, of what you'd done. Um, and I'm part of the supporters trust myself and I know that a wreath was laid on behalf of those as well and, and, and for the fans so um, you know I'm glad that that, that that was there to be seen for all the fans during um, you know before and after the game as well so yeah I really appreciate what, what the club has done in that respect um, still even this year especially with it yes. being such a, such a big uh, big anniversary Yes and and, and just, to, just to let you know Will that those three wreaths that you uh, there mentioned, including the one from the Supporters Trust, which is very important. Uh, after the game, we then took them from the pitch side and placed them um, at the Nat statue underneath the memorial plaque for the 33, uh, where they'll stay uh, for uh, a couple of weeks. That's brilliant to know. Thank you very much for that. Um, I just on a last point as well and I know kind of bringing it into the modern day I know Ian Everett has been a massive advocate for remembering the burn disaster and ensuring that it is never forgotten um, the victims are never forgotten um, which is great to see and I'm sure you'll stress too Phil that everyone associated with the club will do everything in our power to ensure that that continues to be the case and that we continue to remember the 33 for years to come Yes, there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, Ian very much engaged with the town, with the community. He believes um, that his players need to know the history of the club that they are working in um, and playing in. And um, he he really, you know, is enthusiastic about the the players engaging with with the community. And sadly, because of, you know, the current uh, COVID conditions, we've not been able to do as much as we'd like to do. But I can assure you that, you know, there's, there's a lot more to come uh, under, under Ian and, and his team from that perspective. But I think you could see how important it was for him for us to remember the 33. Uh, you know, he talked about them Absolutely. looking down from heaven and, um, and, and cheering us on, on on the win. And you know the fact that he dedicated the win to the 33, I thought was particularly uh, positive and poignant indeed. Absolutely, it's great to see such a recognition, even from a playing perspective as well. The fact that you know Ian is so enthusiastic about that point, and I think it is important that the players are involved in there just as. You know, they recognise it just as much. And I know Anthony Sarsovic has, has made much of a point about that as well, you know, dedicating the win to them. So we're obviously extremely appreciative of that. And, uh, you know, I think it's entirely the right thing to do. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for your time today, Phil. It's been massively appreciated. Um, thank you for everything you do as a club chaplain generally and to ensure that we continue to dedicate this time of year, every year, uh, to those 33 victims of the burning disaster. Um, is there anything you'd like to say to, to any supporters listening or even say a prayer, for example? Um, Phil, the floor's yours as to how you'd like to close, you know, however you feel most appropriate. OK, well, thank you very much, Will, for the opportunity to uh, be with you today. And uh, I, I just want to say thank you to all our supporters who, you know, are sticking with us uh, and being on this journey. I, I think it's a very exciting journey that we're on. Um, and I want us all to stick together as a family but as that family, uh, when one member of our family hurts, we all hurt. And so at this time of year, particularly, remember those 33 
who uh, lost their lives and uh, those that were injured that day and those relatives who uh, had to live and continue to live without their, without their loved ones around them. So I'll just conclude with a prayer for them. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to remember all that happened on that day. And we particularly remember those who lost their loved ones. We ask that you will hold them in your love and in your care, and that you will continue to protect us and support us as we journey on from this day. Amen. Phil, thank you. Thanks again to Phil for his time and for his words. Very much appreciated once again. We will always remember the 33. I would also encourage fans to purchase the Burn and Disaster programme from the Cambridge game online from Ignition Sports Media for just £3. It's the normal match rate. Um, it's certainly a collector's item and one that you can pass down through generations in years to come. On to the Cambridge match now, uh, which followed the tributes. Uh, that, that turned out to be a very fitting and a largely comfortable 2-1 win over the league leaders at the time. Um, really showing how far we've come as a team since before Christmas. That very much put us on track for a playoff finish, um, at, at the very least, which was excellent. Goals from Owen Doyle once again, and uh, from Anthony Sarsovic uh, in that one. Great stuff from the boys, as always. Uh, that set us up nicely going into the weekend's game away at Port Vale. Wednesday was rather a quiet one, with, uh, with little to report on the Wanderers front, and on a personal front for that matter, so uh, we'll gloss straight over that one and go straight into Thursday. Which, as is normally the case uh, for, for an away game, it's the press conference for Saturday's game. Port Vale this time. Uh, an informative preview, as ever. Um, no issues fitness-wise in the squad to report. Um, I think Ian and his players were confident, as, as were the fans going into this one too. Friday saw uh, Ian Everett, as just mentioned, and Rico Santos uh, awarded the actual cursed uh, League 2 Manager and Player of the Month awards, respectively, having been nominated last week. Um, they are worthy winners, uh, but it just meant everyone was a little bit more apprehensive about Saturday's game, being superstitious, as we waited to see whether the curse would affect us. Saturday was then, of course, game day away at Port Vale. Um, one change to the lineup from Tuesday as Marcus Madison was absent. Um, reasons for which remain unexplained at the time of recording. Let's hope he didn't sleep in. Um, he was explained. Uh, he was expected to play, um, though he hasn't been in the best form since joining Wanderers, which uh, which may be the explanation in itself. Um, though Everett had mentioned this week that he thinks Madders will win as a game at some point, um, with him being such an impact player. So I'm not sure whether his exclusion from the team sheet was actually enforced or not. Um, but it didn't matter, as uh, we still managed to nick a narrow 1-0 win, thanks to a Gethin Jones strike in the second half. Uh, that broke the curses back, certainly. Uh, and it, it, Although it wasn't the most straightforward of wins and it wasn't a poor surface, and, you know, Port Vale didn't allow us to, to get into our rhythm whatsoever in the first half and weren't for rolling over. But, you know, we worked hard for the win and uh, fortunately managed to come away with all three points. That saw us move up to sixth, joint fourth on all, all on points, um, just four points off automatic promotion and five off the top. Um, very doable in my opinion. I'm sure we'll still be looking up there to see whether that is possible. No midweek game to come or, or therefore to preview this week. Uh, I think the Cambridge game was actually our last or second to last midweek game um, before the end of the season. So that gives the time, uh, the squad time to recover in between games, which which helps at such a crucial stage of the season. 
Um, a few teams above and below still have a game or two in hand um, on us, so that'll be interesting to see how the table pans out over the course of the next few weeks uh, and we can, whether we can hold our nerve really, beat what's in front of us and concentrate on our own game rather than what's happening around us until is uh, you know absolutely necessary. I think that's my job for the time being rather than uh, the, the players and the squad. Anyway, I think that's enough waffle from me for another week. So uh, thank you very much for joining me uh, on episode 10 of Where There's a World, There's a Burnham Way. Uh, you can subscribe, like, comment, share, all that good stuff wherever you listen to me. Uh, and you can follow me on the socials at WTAWTABW and WIL1J on Twitter. Um, and that's predominantly for content and guest suggestions. And you can always email me at WTAWTABW. T-A-B-W at gmail.com for all business inquiries. So thank you very much for tuning in to episode 10 of Where There's a Will, There's a Burnham Way and to, to Phil Mason for his contributions too. And uh, I shall catch you next week, Sunday the 21st of March for episode 11. Bye now.